Welcome to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. My name is Susie Collett. I'm a violent crime survivor, a martial artist, and I'm the founder of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense. And I'm Hume Vaseen, a fitness professional and certified Pretty Deadly trainer living in Islamabad. We're exploring the kinds of violence women around the world face, the different ways we defend ourselves on a daily basis, and of course, sharing our self-defense tips and techniques as we go. If there's anything you would like us to explore, send us your questions and comments to hi at teamprettydeadly.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. Hi, Hume. Hi, Susie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great as well. Good. Your hair looks pretty. Thanks. This is my natural hair before I straighten it. Oh, I didn't know you straightened it. I do sometimes. Okay, I I don't because this is all I got. <laughs> I love your lip color and the olive shirt. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Um, what are we talking about today? I think I know, but I want you to yeah. let our listeners know. So I want to talk about Hollywood and its obsession with serial killer biopics and you know horror films where they always see the woman as the victim and the woman always gets killed um we've even done a workshop on this which was super interesting where we taught people how sorry where we taught women how they could fight back these bad guys right but my question is that why does hollywood keep producing such problematic films that can contribute to a culture of abuse and harassment I think um, I just want to clarify about our workshops because okay. I don't want to mislead people to believe that we have workshops that focus exactly on like how to survive a serial killer attack. The okay. workshops that we teach that you're referring to are our annual Halloween workshop, which okay. is how to fight back against like classic horror film bad guys like Jason, Michael, Freddie. Um, the Scream guy, uh, Norman Bates from Psycho. So I just want to make that really clear that we're not giving like specific workshops on how to survive serial killer attacks. Just a disclaimer because it's a, you know, I got to pay attention to the legal stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, you have worked closely in Hollywood, I'm assuming, right? I worked in Hollywood, but not in like the giant machine, but around it enough to understand it. And I lived there, of course, for yeah. 11 years. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say that, you know, we all love how America is big on freedom of expression and speech, but I think this might be the downside of it that people can talk about or make movies on any topic, you know, no matter how graphic it is. Well, I think the idea of America, um, it does stand for freedom of expression. That's not, that doesn't always translate into reality, but that is part of the American ideal. Um, and you're right. The flip side of that then is it gives space to things that can be really problematic. And I'm going to step out of the horror movie in Hollywood area for one second to talk about how that has translated into um, online harassment, violence, the rise of right-wing groups, QAnon in the U.S. Um, uh, they're called Querdenker here in Germany. 
the Tea Party, the Trumpists in your country, the um, I guess all the people who who support Khan, and I'm not really sure how that's playing out for you in your country at the moment, but how this it gives space for incels with this whole idea of like, well, if free speech is free speech for everyone. And that's actually not true. There's, we can talk about that in another episode, but I think that that's important to bring into this conversation because it is the downside. Free speech is not, you're free to say whatever you want. You're free to do whatever you want. You're free to depict any kind of violence that you want. That's not what freedom of speech means. And it's not what free speech means. But because it's interpreted in these other ways, people often use it as a kind of as a, a support to their argument of then we can create snuff films and porn films and and uh, child pornography and hate speech and all this other stuff. In Hollywood, I think the you know there's a there's a financial benefit to creating horror films like this there's a formula that they all tend to follow. Um, and there's also those societal tropes. I mean, then I think that becomes a question of a chicken and an egg, you know, what was started first, you know, women being killed or Hollywood making movies about women being killed. Obviously women being killed started first, but because that yeah. started way before movies were invented, but nonetheless, you know, does one perpetuate the other? It's like an Ouroboros, you know, a snake that eats its own tail. Yeah. It's really sad because, you know, we used to have these horror classical films and um, we talked about a Tarantino film one time, once upon a time in Hollywood, and you've actually seen it. I've seen a Tarantino film, um, which was called Death Proof. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a very old I one. I did not see that one, no. Okay, so it's about three women who are like really pretty women and they get killed by a psychopath who runs them over with his car. Like, that's his hobby. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I watched it, I was a teenager and it was cool to like Tarantino films, you know, and I was like, okay, this is really cool. But then when I grew up and I became more aware of women's rights and feminism and stuff, I realized it was just, maybe you can say it's misogynistic, maybe it's just sadistic. Um, but there are a lot of young men who watch such movies and they get influenced by them. So you've also studied psychology. What do you think? Do you think this can actually influence people? Severely? I think so. Yeah. I do think so. You know, I, I know that there's a lot of arguments against that. Um, but, you know, I, I've seen it with my own eyes. It's a normalization of violence, whether yeah. that's in the form of racism or misogyny or homophobia or, or yeah. religious violence, but it's, it's a normalization. Yeah, normalization, but also glorification and glamorization. You know, they're showing people that this is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's also a series on Netflix that a lot of young people are watching. It's called You, where the main protagonist or antagonist is this guy who falls in love with women and then he eventually kills them in a very graphic way. And a lot of young girls watch it and some of them even start to romanticize this person that, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's had a tough childhood and they also empathize with him. So it's scary. Yeah, it's really scary because those are kind of the first 
those are kind of the first signs of um, domestic abuse as well in real life, you know, where you, you may even start to recognize that someone is violent or dangerous and they tell you their story of, you know, my bad childhood, et cetera, et cetera. And you feel like, or, and what they tell you abusers is that you're the only person that can stop them from being abusive. You're the only person that really understands them. And so you believe that they may be violent to everyone else except you, but when they do express violence on your body, whether it's in, in the show or, or in reality, then we come up with a thousand different ways to, to justify our own presence in that relationship. I'm not trying to blame anyone by saying this, but I'm just saying that this is how, this is how domestic abuse works. And it's really frightening that a lot of young women are watching a show about a man that they know in advance kills women yeah. and then romanticizes him. Yeah. And you know, what's really shocking to me was that even the writer, the script writer of this series, she's a woman. So I don't understand why she would write it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, we all have internalized misogyny and, and, I, you know, I don't, it's hard for me to understand. I think, you know, the United States has a history of glorifying serial killers. And that also feeds into the horror movie aspect of it. Serial killers tend to target women um, because women are easier targets. That's really the only yeah. reason why I think they, in the United States, I don't know if they still exist, but there used to be like trading cards, like baseball cards for serial killers. There's tons and tons and tons of books. There's always movies. There's all the true crime podcasts. There's, um, uh, you know, realistic TV shows and movies and documentaries as well. And it's always focused on the killer. Yeah. You know, speaking of realistic documentaries, I saw um, these Ted Bundy tapes on YouTube mm -hmm. where he just talks about why he thinks he became the way he did which was super violent, right before they execute him. And it was very interesting to me because he said that I've had an ideal upbringing. My parents were great. I had an ideal education. They put me in good schools. I can't complain about anything in my life. But he says that there was one thing that was uh, weird about me was I became super addicted to porn. And it became to a point where he was addicted to violent porn as well. And he just, I think he was giving this message to young guys that you should save yourself from it. So maybe that's also a slippery slope. Maybe. I, I tend not to really believe anything serial killers say. <laughs> like, I mean, I really, Ted Bundy was notorious for charming people. Right. I and mean, he would say anything, you know, so, and he was so articulate and very yeah. charming that he could get away with it. So yeah. I feel like oh really it was porn that seems easy Ted Bundy I don't I just I I just don't believe anything that guy says I don't believe any of any of them I know right. sometimes serial killers will like speak more openly about how they operate or what they're getting out of hurting people um but I don't know if anyone's ever really been able to answer the question why for themselves, meaning, you know, when yeah. it, when, when a serial killer is interviewed. Yeah. You know, a lot of the 
um, films in Hollywood, they, even like Joker, it shows that he had a very sad and tragic life. That's why he became the way he did. But mm-hmm. I don't think that that is some hard and fast rule that if you've had bad stuff happen to you, you're going to become violent and abusive, right? No, it, I think that there's, you know, you're, I don't know if it's the way that you were born, there's a chemical imbalance or there's something off in your brain or whatever it is, but um, I don't believe it has to necessarily do with your upbringing. There's a lot of serial killers that had, like Ted Bundy, had fine upbringings. There were no issues and yet they grew up to be extraordinarily violent people. So I think it's really more about recognizing that you know, whether it's a serial rapist or a serial killer or someone who's just a serial violent person in some other way, it's about the violence. They're getting something out of the violence and they're also not, um, they're not recognizing the, uh, they're not recognizing how that violence affects the world around them in a way that makes them care. I think they recognize it, but they also don't care. Maybe so they enjoy it, you know. Right, well, I think that violence is the way that they exist in the world. Like it's, I use the phrase a lot, people who inhabit violence. And I use that specifically because, because I feel that this is how they connect to the world around them. This is how they ex- wow. how they know how to exist in the world. They can see all the other things, you know, all the moral structures and laws and everything else. Um, But that doesn't connect for them. What connects for them is violence. I think think some people are operating from trauma. They're just passing it on. But then there are other people who we can't relate to, but they're sadistic in nature and they just enjoy it. They enjoy seeing people being hurt and tortured. Right. Right. And I think that's your, your, your key phrase is that we can't relate to it. So in Pretty Deadly, I usually tell people like, if you um, are having a hard time, if you can't think of a way that someone might attack, you know, congratulations, you don't think like a psychopath. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's worth spending a lot of time trying to answer the question, like, why, why would they do that? Because you're, if you're not wired that way, you're never going to understand it. And if that's your moral structure, to not be right wired that way, then you really can just congratulate yourself for not being a psycho. Yeah. That's and you know, as women, we're always trying to empathize and care for a man or any abuser, but sometimes we need to understand that no matter what hell he's been through, it doesn't give him the right to be abusive towards you or anyone else for that matter. It- Excuse me, him or her. I mean, women can, I, and I'm not saying this because I want to be against women, but in these really extreme cases, um, it, it really has nothing to do with the gender of the abuser. And it doesn't have anything to do with the gender of the abused either. It's really how that individual has interpreted a way of being in the world, you know, whether it's informed by trauma or informed by porn according to Ted Bundy or you know whatever it is you know it's uh it's it's them the problem is them and I think it's important to acknowledge that I think when it comes to Hollywood you know like I said it's a um one horror movies are pretty cheap to make so and they're easy sells you know they it's kind of like a guaranteed money maker 
So there's that aspect of it. Um, people love to be thrilled if there's an engagement. So horror movies are like a roller coaster ride. And if you look closely, you'll notice that horror movies and comedies actually follow the exact same story formula um, between setups and payoffs on whether it's fear or a joke. There's always expectation and then there's a delivery. And it's they follow, it's it's the same process, really, whether you write horror or comedy. With comedy, you actually have to be funny. You can't just rely on the formula, but there does have to be a funny aspect to it. Um, but I think, you know, focusing on women with these films, it's just, I, I think that's the porn, you know, especially for men. And it's like, I don't know what is up with Quentin Tarantino. I think that I, I know he's got a, at least one daughter. Yeah. And I, I find it so bizarre that for him, there's just such a disconnect with the with the level of violence that he shows against women in his films and the fact that you know meanwhile he's married and has kids and some of those kids are girls and and like there's to him there's no relationship between those two things and yes it's a movie and we can all tell that it's a movie but those movies inform culture and they inform society yeah. they're a part of these things they don't exist exactly. they're this but they inform I mean, yeah, they are easy sells, they are attractive and they thrill people. But then why do media houses, why do producers support such directors, you know? I think when Harvey Weinstein was Me Too by so many women, that told us something that even they are really misogynistic. You know, the producers who are producing these films, who are letting these films be made and then, you know, promoting them to millions of people. Yeah. Well, Hollywood is pretty misogynistic, I would say, yeah. in general, and has a traditional a tradition of being super sexist. And yeah. people, you know, the thing is, is you have people who love to make films, whether it's actors or directors or writers. These are the creative people. And then there's yeah. lots of creative people around them as well. The, the costume people, the set designers, you know, all of that. Um, and all of these people are artists, you know, and they're there because they want to express themselves in their particular artistic way. But in a way that also leaves them very vulnerable to creeps like Harvey Weinstein, who says, you know, yeah, well, I can get your movie made if you sleep with me. Because yeah. I know what you want more than anything else is to be a big Hollywood star, or at least to get a role in this film. And I'm going to take advantage of that. And unfortunately, those are the people who swept in and and controlled the money and the decisions and all of that stuff. So it's it's Hollywood is a hunting ground. Yeah. Really. And, and very literally, not only for actors and writers and directors, the creative group, but but also for people who are just arriving when yeah. when I was talking to the cops after I was attacked, that's what they told me. You know, they they slapped this giant book of, because um, this is before everything was digitized, this giant book of top priority cases that was literally like this thick on the desk, this old like seasoned detective. And he said to me, right now, you're up here at the very top. Next week, you're going to be here. Next month, you're going to be there. And in another month, you're in, a, you're, this whole book is on the floor. 
And he said, he's the one who said to me, Hollywood is a hunting ground. People like you come out here to make a living in the business or to pursue their dreams with no friends, no network, no family, nobody knows where you are while you're getting yourself established. It's really easy to make you disappear. Oh, that must have sounded scary to you. It was super scary, but it's also true. He was saying, you know, we find a body in the hills every day, which was true at that time may still be true. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Scary stuff, but you know, it's such a big and powerful system, Hollywood. I, I don't know if we can fight it, but the most we can do is we can have conversations like this so we can raise awareness. Um, women don't have to glorify these people. They don't have to romanticize them. And as mothers, we should be mindful of what our sons watch, you know, so we don't raise sons who act that way in psychopathic ways. And I hope if we can reach men, then they can also learn a thing or two about ingesting and consuming such media, which is so problematic. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that it goes deeper than mothers. Now, I don't have kids. And I also don't think it's my responsibility to um, educate men or boys. I do think that it's societies and cultures responsibility to shift that focus um you know why are you getting so much pleasure out of violence and why is that the norm yeah can we and and what does but i think what we really need to look at is what does that cost us you're listening to the pretty deadly self-defense podcast hosted on acast and available on itunes Spotify, Audible, and our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com and wherever you get your favorite pods.